Crossroad International Church podcast. We're so glad you joined us. It is our prayer that God will use this message to bring comfort to those who are hurting, give hope to those who find themselves in what seems to be a hopeless situation, and to encourage the one who is struggling through a difficult season of life. For more sermon audio, resources, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit CICKuwait.com. We'd love to hear from you. book of Ecclesiastes. We have about, I think, five weeks left or so. We'll finish up the end of November and then talk about Christmas in December. Turn with me, if you would, to Ecclesiastes chapter 4, and we're going to go through chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. And this is kind of a hodgepodge of um, subjects that Solomon is dealing with here. So if you want a title, you can call it Power, Work, Relationships, and Popularity, or a mixed-up message. So you decide how what you want to write down on your notes. I hope you do take notes. But the first section of this, we want to read verses 1 through 3, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Then I returned and considered all of the oppression that is done under the sun. And look, the tears of the oppressed, but they have no comforter. On the side of their oppressor there is power, but they have no comforter. Therefore I praise the dead who were already dead, more than the living who are still alive. Yet better than both is he who has never existed, who has not seen the evil work that is done under the sun. So I want to title this first three verses as Life's Not Fair. How many of you can agree? Life's not fair. Man, our kids, when they were growing up, something would happen and one of them would run in and so-and-so did something to me, it's not fair. And our standard reaction was, that's right, life's not fair. I just read an article this week from a child psychologist saying we are hurting our children in this next generation because we do everything for them and they think life is fair. You know, I don't know where you're from, but in America now, you have sports for little guys and nobody loses. Everybody wins. It's true. But how many of you can attest that sometimes life is not fair? But I can guarantee you life may not be fair, but God is always faithful. Amen? It's unfortunate but true, injustice and oppression seem to be a normal part of human life. All of us suffer it. The powerful abuse the weak, the rich mistreat the poor. It's been that way since the beginning, and I'm assuming it will be that way until Jesus returns And everything of this life is over. 
Warren Wiersbe said, the king here witnessed three tragedies. First, he witnessed the oppression and the exploitation in the halls of justice. In many of the commentators that I read, it seems that Solomon has gone through and he's looked at the halls of justice in the kingdom and realized that the wealthy and the powerful oppress the poor and the needy. Number two, he has seen that pain and sorrow is in the lives of innocent people. And then three, there is an unconcern on the part of those who could have brought comfort. And I want to spend some time on that thought today, that there was unconcern on the part of those who could have brought comfort. So devastated was Solomon by what he saw that he decided that it was better to be dead than to be alive and oppressed. And then he went one step further. He said, it's not better to be dead. It's better if you had never been born. And then you don't have to witness any of this injustice and this oppression and that life's not fair. But that is human wisdom. That's not what God desires. Life may not be fair, but God is always faithful. I'm going to say that about probably 20 times today, so when you leave here, it will be stuck in your mind. Life may not be fair, but God is always faithful faithful. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, life may not be fair, but God is always faithful. Okay, now the one on the other side. Life may not be fair, but God is always faithful. What is my responsibility to the oppressed? Every one of us in our jobs, in our neighborhoods, different places that we go, we see people in this nation that are oppressed. Amen? So what's my responsibility? Psalm chapter 82, verses 3 and 4 says, Defend the poor and the fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and the needy. Deliver the poor and the needy and rid them out of the hand of of the wicked. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 17. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Jeremiah 22:3. Thus saith the Lord, execute judgment and righteousness and deliver the spoiled out of the hand of the oppressor, and do no wrong. Do no violence to the stranger, the fatherless, nor the widow, neither shed innocent blood in this place. Zechariah chapter 7, verses 9 through 10. Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Execute true judgment, Show mercy and compassion every man to his brother. And oppress not the widow, nor the fatherless, 
nor the stranger, nor the poor, and let none of you imagine evil against his brother in your heart. And lastly, James 1.27, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. Visit the orphans and the widows in their trouble and keep oneself unspotted from the world. You and I as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to be the champions for those in our circle of influence who are oppressed. We need to stand up for them, help them, visit them, take care of them. When you as a supervisor or an overseer or a manager or whatever in your company, you have the power to stand up and be a voice for the people in your company that are oppressed. Amen? We had a couple that were here for many, many years in Kuwait and foundation members of this church and they've now gone he retired and some of his employees that were under him were crying when he left saying who's going to speak up for us now because in his company the the higher ups in the company were wanting to oppress those in the lower echelons of the company and this man as a manager stood up for them and they were going, now who will stand up for us? But I just want to encourage you in the workplace, be a voice for the oppressed. You said, but you don't understand here, I may lose my job. Well, let me ask you, is it better to have your job and to go against the word of God or stand up and obey the word and let God take care of you if you lose your job or not? I believe that as believers, it is our responsibility and our job to be a voice for the oppressed. Here are a few things to remember when life seems unfair. Every one of us is going to go through a time in our life when things are not unfair. Let me ask you, how many of you have already been through some things that were not fair? Okay. How many of you know if you haven't been through it, it's coming? <laughs> and how many of you know even if you've been through it, you may go through it again? <laughs> so here are some things to remember when life seems unfair. And this is something good to teach your kids because they need to know that life is unfair. Number one, when life seems unfair... Remember, do not give up. Don't quit. We all go through struggles in life. It is inevitable. You cannot get away from it. Obstacles keep us on our toes. In, then they encourage us to change and to continue to break through barriers. And not fall into the trap of comfort and complacency. I've used this illustration before. I've got a friend named Ben. 
and he wanted to be in athletics in high school. And he was kind of short, a little bit overweight, and he decided he was going to be a hurdler. He wasn't exactly built for the hurdles, but he decided that was the sport he wanted, so he tried out. And they had the A team, the B team, the C team, and the D team. Ben ended up on the D team hurdlers. And they practiced and practiced, and they got to their first race. And they're all lined up, and the starting gun goes off, and they all take off. And Ben said, in practice, the hurdles looked about this tall. But now in the race, they look about this tall. And he said he's running with all he could do, and he's concentrating on that first hurdle. And he throws his foot up, and the first thing he hit was the top of the hurdle. And down he goes into the cinder tracks. That's back before they had rubber on the tracks. It was these fine cinders. He said cinders in his hand, in his face. And he was just laying there moaning and groaning. So embarrassed that he hit the first hurdle. And then he said all of a sudden from the crowd, there's this roar. Get up. You can do it. Get up. You can do it. And he said when he pushed up to his hands and knees and looked around, every de-hurdler was laying on the track with cinders in their face and cinders in their hand. And he said they all got up and they grabbed hands and they just walked and they just knocked over every hurdle and went to the end and they crossed the line together. When life's not fair, don't give up. You can do it. The Bible says we have a cloud of witnesses in heaven that is cheering us on that you can do it. When life doesn't seem fair, remember to open your heart to change. A lot of times we complicate life by rejecting or resisting change. Sometimes God wants to make a change in our life and we don't like change. But see, change keeps us afloat. Change helps us to grow. Change ensures that we continue learning the important lessons of life. So keep your heart open to change. When life seems unfair, remember that you have a choice. Nobody forced you to come to Kuwait. Nobody forced you into the job that you have. Now this next one maybe you can argue with. Nobody forced you to live where you live. If you have company housing, maybe you are forced to live where you live, but you could go live somewhere else and pay for it out of your pocket. I said you could go live somewhere else and pay for it out of your pocket if you really don't like where you live, okay? So the choice is yours. Nobody 
can force you to have the attitude that you have. That's your choice. See, all of these things lie in our hands, and we have a choice. So when life seems unfair, sometimes it may be because of the choices that you and I have made. So instead of fearing or denying the responsibility, embrace the choices that you have made. If they've been wrong, ask God to forgive you. Ask God to change you. Ask God to help you grow through this situation in life. And then the last thing to remember when life does not seem fair. Remember, the pain does not last forever. Learn from it and grow from it. And thank it for teaching you how to change and to grow in the things of God. Pain can serve as a very valuable teacher. When we go through things that don't seem fair and things that I would not have chosen, I always ask, God, what are you teaching me through this? Father, help me learn the lesson Because I know my heavenly father. If I don't learn it this time. We will go around this mountain. And we will get right back to that same test again. So ask God to help you learn from the test. Embrace them. Don't resist them and condemn them and wish they would just leave you alone. Just embrace the pain, embrace the situation, and ask God to help you go through it. Life may not be fair, but God is always faithful. Amen? Life may not be fair, but God is always faithful. Faithful. One day, I can promise you, one day we're all going to be in heaven with Jesus, and then everything will be fair. So until that day, remember life may not be fair, but God is always faithful. And then verses four through six talks about work, envy, and laziness. So he's kind of jumping all over here. Verse 4, again I saw that for all the toil and every skillful work a man is envied by his neighbors. This also is vanity and grasping for the wind. For the fool folds his hands and consumes his own flesh. Better is a handful with quietness Then both hands full together with the toils and the grasping for the wind. I was listening to a message preparing for this from Pastor Tom Shepard, and he made a statement that that struck me. He said this, Some people are lazy while others are workaholics. 
Lazy people, seeing the futility of dashing about for success, idle away their time and hurt both themselves and those who depend on them. But workaholics are often driven by envy, greed, and a constant desire to stay ahead of everyone else. And they also hurt themselves and those who depend on them. Both extremes are foolish and irresponsible. The answer is to work hard, but with moderation. Take time to enjoy the gifts that God has given you and realize that it is God who gives out the rewards, not us. I like that, two extremes. The lazy person who does nothing, the workaholic who tries to do everything. The balance is in the middle. Work hard, but take time to enjoy what you've worked for. Someone asked my father one time, he was, I don't know, 87 or so, Mr. Mills, when are you going to retire? He said, never. He said, all of my friends that retired ended up dying right after they retired. He says, I don't want to die. I'm never going to retire. He lived to be 92. Still busy as he could be. But take time now to enjoy life. Amen? Because you may not have much life that you think you have after retirement. I know a lot of people that save and save and get ready for retirement and some sickness or something happens and they can never enjoy the life that they had spent 40 years preparing for. So enjoy life now. That doesn't mean do nothing and just enjoy life. No work. Work hard, but work in moderation. Utterly says life is a competition for food, shelter, work, possessions, honor, and control. He said this is an atheistic philosophy. The world believes that power is right. This is human ego run amok. He said, without God, the only motive is me. Without God in my life, without God as the focus for doing what I do, everything centers around me. He said, every human in his fallen nature is envious. And every human in their fallen nature takes advantage of others. So life without God is a dog-eat-dog -dog life of competition and unsatisfied lust for more and more for me at any cost. This is not a real hallelujah shouting message, but it's one we all need to hear. We sing here, Jesus at the center 
of it all. But sometimes I have to wonder, is he? I'll confess to you many times in my life, I am the center of it all. It's all about me, what I want. Sometimes I evaluate my prayer life, and my prayer life is concentrated on me and my family and what we need. But if Jesus is really at the center, our whole focus takes on a new outlook on life to where it's no longer centered around me, but it's centered on the kingdom of heaven and what God wants for me. And then Solomon in verse 7, he starts talking about relationships. And first he says it's utterly futile excuse me, to be alone, verses 7 and 8. Then I returned and I saw vanity under the sun. There is one alone without a companion. He has neither son nor brother, yet there is no end to all of his labor, nor is his eye satisfied with riches. But he never asked, For whom do I toil and deprive myself of good? This also is vanity and a grave misfortune. Clark says here, covetousness is characterized. The man who is the center of his own world, he has neither wife nor child nor legal heir, yet he is as intent on getting money as if he had the largest family in the world. Nor does he only labor with intense application, but he even refuses himself the comforts of life from his own gains because all he can think about is getting more, getting more, getting more. He said this is not only vanity, but it is excess foolishness. Last week, Dell gave a plug to a secular song, I think, by the birds, turn, 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 there is a time for everything. Well, as I was reading through this scripture that here is one alone and then getting into the next section about how it's better to have companions, two are better than one, I thought about one of the favorite songs that I had growing up and it was from a group called Three Dog Night, if anybody have ever heard of them. And the name of the song was, One is the Loneliest Number. And that's what Solomon's saying here. One is a very lonely number. And go on to verse 9, the value of companionships. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion, but woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to lift him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold card is not quickly broken." 
So in this scripture, Solomon gives us five reasons it's better to be in relationship with others. Number one, they have a good return on their work. More productive together. It would be real hard to pull this service off this morning if I was all by myself. We've got sound and media people. We've got the musicians. We've got all of the kids workers upstairs. We have the welcome team. We have all kinds of volunteers helping in all different areas to make what we have here possible. There's a whole staff in the hotel that comes and sets up all of this for us every week. We are more productive together than alone. Then he says, if one falls down, his friend can help him up. We watch out for one another. I watch your back, you watch my back. If one lie, if they lie down together, they keep warm. Mutual benefits of being together. The one be overpowered too can defend themselves. There is power in prayer and spiritual warfare when we come together in agreement. If two or three agree as touching anything, it shall be done for them. Please don't go through a time in life that seems to be unfair by yourself. Look around. You have a lot of brothers and sisters in CIC, and if you will let us know what you are going through, we will stand with you and we will help you and uphold you in prayer. I know in the ladies group there's prayer requests all the time. In the band of brothers there's prayer requests all the time. I'm on the all of the life group, WhatsApp groups, and there's prayer going forward. Remember, together we are stronger than apart. A threefold card cannot be quickly broken. There is strength in numbers. Together we will stand. One is the loneliest number. But let me tell you, even if you are by yourself, you're never alone. Because Jesus said he will never leave you or forsake you. And he is with you to the ends of the earth. And then the last section, verses 13 through 16, Solomon goes into the futility of popularity. Better a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who will be admonished no more. For he comes out of prison to be king, and although he was born poor in his kingdom, I saw all the living who walk under the sun and they were with the second youth who stands in his place. There was no end of all of the people over whom he was made king. Yet, those who come after him will not rejoice in him. Surely this is all vanity and grasping for the wind. Wearsby says this, consider what this story says. This young man was born poor but he became rich. The old king was rich, but it didn't make him any wiser, so it might just as well have been poor. The young man was in prison, but he got out and he took the throne. 
The old king was imprisoned in his stupidity, and he lost his throne. Here is the moral of this story. Wealth and position are no guarantee for success. And poverty and seeming failure are no barriers for achievement. The key is God. Wealth and power is not a guarantee of success. And poverty and failure is not the ultimate barrier to achievement. See, here's the problem. People are fickle. The hero today is the bum tomorrow. Popularity comes and popularity goes. And this fact drove Solomon to say it's all just vapor chasing at the wind. Life may not be fair, but God is always faithful. Let me give you just a quick overview of this chapter, and then I want to ask some questions. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 is basically oppression is universal and depressing. Make sure you're not the one doing the oppressing. Amen? Because if you're the one doing the oppressing, then you've got to talk to God. Because He's the one that helps those that are oppressed. Number two, advancing your career should not be the highest priority in your life. You should labor enough to provide for yourself and your family, but not so much that you have no time to enjoy life. There are many advantages to companionship and cooperation. And lastly, popularity is futile. Popularity is temporary. Wealth and position are no guarantee of continued success. Only God can make you successful. God must be at the center of our lives. It's not my family, it's not my job, it has to be God. So would you bow your heads for a moment, and I want you to think about these questions that I'm getting ready to ask, some questions to ponder. Each one of us has power, and we can use that power to help people or to oppress people. So I want you to think right now, the power that you have as a worker, as a manager, as a teacher, whatever your position, how do you use your power and your position? Is it to further your career? Or is it to help others? Are you here in Kuwait simply to gain wealth to consume upon yourself? Are you here to see the kingdom of God established 
in the earth. How important is your popularity where you work? These last two are soul-searching, and as I was writing them, I really had to do some searching of my own heart and some repentance before God. What is it costing you in, in terms of your relationship with God to get the earthly things that you think are so important? And then lastly, and this is probably the most important of all of these questions. How much of your eternal reward are you sacrificing to get your hands on temporary stuff? Heavenly Father, we come to you and we thank you for your word today. Because your word is alive and your word is powerful. Father, your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. Father, we thank you that your word divides between our soul and our spirit. And it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of our hearts. And Father, we thank you today but by your word. This has been a very practical word that deals with every aspect of our life by the injustice that we see, our work, our lack of work, our jealousy for what others have, trying to do it all of our, on our own and sometimes neglecting our relationships. But Father, we thank you that your word can set us free, that your word touches our hearts that your word changes us. And Father, help us to understand truly that sometimes life is not fair, but you are always forever a faithful God. Touch our hearts today, Lord Jesus. Help us to stand up when we see things that are wrong and oppression taking place at our workplace. Father, help us not to be the one that is oppressing those that are under us. Father, help us to be a champion for the less fortunate. Father, help us stand up and make your word known in those situations. Father, give us the courage and give us the strength to take a stand for Christ in every situation. Because, Father, your word says that Jesus will stand for us. I think about Stephen kneeling there with the stones falling down around him. Praying for those that are killing him, saying, Father, forgive them. And he looks up and there is Jesus standing in heaven. Jesus, I thank you that you take a stand for us when we take a stand for you. 
And even when we are wishy-washy, you still stand for us. Because you are forever faithful. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.